For the past four seasons, the Seahawks have had one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. Where do they stack up against the rest of the league now that Jackson Smith and Jigba is coming to town as a first-round pick? Rob Rang and I are going to be discussing and debating on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, the host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our Tuesday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening across the country in North Carolina or nearby in Idaho. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week as we continue to draw closer to training camp we're going to be checking out where the seahawks receiving core stacks up against the rest of the nfl we're going to launch a new throwback tuesday series creating our all underrated teams we'll be looking at quarterbacks and safeties who some might consider the quarterbacks of the defense we will be talking about those two position groups making our selections today a little bit of a history lesson for some of our younger fans as well and we'll continue our 90-man countdown with number 70 through 66 a lot of southern california flavor in today's five players so we'll get to that coming up shortly here on a jam-packed episode now for your lead story here on our tuesday edition of locked on seahawks with dk metcalf and tyler lockett as the stars at the top of the depth chart the seahawks have had one of the best one-two punches at receiver in the NFL for the past four seasons. Geno Smith thrived in his first year as a starter. Russell Wilson thrived throwing moon balls to both those players. But they've been in search for a number three receiver. D. Eskridge wasn't quite able to get it done. It's still in the roster. Maybe he ends up having a big third season. But Jackson Smith and Jigba coming to town as a first-round pick. There's a lot of excitement about what he's going to be able to immediately bring this passing game, how he compliments Metcalf and Lockett. And, of course, that leads to the big question here. I thought the Seahawks already were a top-five caliber receiving core just with the two stars they have at the top. And now you add Smith and Jigba to the equation. you got to wonder where this receiving core now stacks up against the rest of the league. You can certainly make arguments, Rob, that this is a top-three group, but at the same time, there's a lot of really good receivers in the NFL, and there's a lot of teams that have two or three weapons that are comparable to what the Seahawks are going to be putting out in the field on Sundays, even with Smith and Jigba. Yeah, there's no question about it. I think that uh, in, in the wide receiver landscape has changed. Um, you know, the Miami Dolphins, when their big trade for Tyreek Hill, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, their big trade for A.J. Brown, of course, selecting the, the Heisman Trophy winner um, in, in Devontae Smith that same year. I mean, it, the, the wide receiver rooms have completely changed in the NFL. If we would have had this conversation a year, maybe two ago, I would have said that the Los Angeles Rams with Cooper Cup and, and Robert Woods and Josh Reynolds, that they might be at the top of that list. but you know, everything has changed now. The only one who's still on that team at this point is Cooper Cup, and he's, of course, coming off of the injury. So I, I would start off the conversation, Corbin, by basically agreeing with you that I think that the two-headed monster that is DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett has absolutely put Seattle's wide receiver core in that top five conversation for at least the best top 
two receiving core in all of the NFL, but it was the fact that Seattle struggled to have any other third wide receiver really step up. That is one of the real knocks on this group. And then that's why that we and many others are excited about what the Seahawks have brought in with Jackson Smith and Jake, but I'll, I'll just start off right now. I, I think that at least for me, the top receiving core, really, this is a two team race. In my opinion, it would be between the Miami dolphins because of the speedsters. I mentioned Tyree kill before Jalen Waddle at the other side. I, to me, those top two guys, I don't think that they have the depth that Seattle may have and, and some of the other clubs that I'm going to mention here. But to me, those two guys, I don't know there's a cornerback in the league that can truly run and change directions with either Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell. And, and that's why, for me, I have the Miami Dolphins at number one. The Cincinnati Bengals, one spot behind them, right there, nip and tuck with them. I think they actually have even better depth. Jamar Chase, certainly unbelievable talent. Uh, Tyler Boyd in the slot and then T. Higgins outside. Uh, to me, that's exactly what you're looking for. A guy that can eat up opportunities in a, a Jamar Chase, a guy that has that size and the speed to kind of be that classic, uh, you know, split end wide receiver and T Higgins. And then Tyler Boyd, what he's able to do in, in the inside, he has been so very successful in that regard for, for a long time now. So to me, those are the top two teams. And then I think that there's a couple of other clubs, including the Seahawks who are kind of duking it out to be in the top five. Yeah, I'm interested in looking at your rankings because you have one team in your top five that I do not have in my top five, and I'm just a little bit higher on the Seahawks than you are, but you and I do agree, uh, aside from the fact that I have them switched on who the top two teams are in terms of best receiving cores in the league, I've got to start with Cincinnati Bengals because you mentioned the depth. Jamar Chase, top three, top five talent at the position. T Higgins, I think there are games where he looks like a top 10 talent, and he's a guy they're going to be paying this year. Both those guys are going to have contracts coming up. Tyler Boyd has been through some really rough seasons in Cincinnati and put up big numbers when he was the number one guy. And now he's the third fiddle, but he is one of the best number three receivers in the league at this stage of his career. And he's kind of got some Smith and Jigba in his game. He's a guy that wins in the slot and gets a lot of first downs. And then Miami, I think if they had a better number three, they would be number one for me. But I just think there's a big drop-off from Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell to Braxton Berrios, who they brought in for the Jets, I think is probably their number three receiver right now. I have the Seahawks at number three. If Jackson Smith and Jigba ends up becoming the player that we think he's going to be, though, I think Seattle could have the best three-headed monster in the entire NFL at that position. I just can't move them in the top two, though, without seeing Smith and Jigba playing regular season games. We've got to see him go out and perform. If he does the way that expectations have been set, then I think if we revisit this middle of the season, then you could make a very strong argument the Seahawks have the best three-headed monster at receiver. As far as my last two teams on my countdown, I've got the Philadelphia Eagles. You mentioned how the landscapes traded uh, changed with the trade of A.J. Brown going from the Titans to the Eagles. They've got Devontae Smith. Quez Watkins is who I've got down to their number three, but he's going to get some pressure from some newcomers they brought in too. So that is a team that I don't think has quite the third receiver depth that some of the teams ahead of them do. But A.J. Brown coupled with Devontae Smith is as good of a one-two punch as you're going to find in the league. And where you and I differ, and maybe I need to get out of the way back machine here, but the Dallas Cowboys are actually my number five. I just feel like Keenan Allen with the Chargers is not the player he used to be. He's had injuries. He's not the athlete. Quentin Johnston's the same thing as Jackson Smith and Jigba. We haven't seen him play in a game yet. And Mike Williams has had a bunch of injuries too. Talent-wise, I can see the argument to put him in the top five. But 
I just don't know that I would put him over Dallas, who's got CeeDee Lamb, who I still think is one of the best ascending talents in the league. Michael Gallup, now more than a year removed from his ACL tears, a very fine receiver. And it's going to be nice to see a really fast receiver, Brandon Cooks, finally have a solid quarterback throwing the football to him in Dak Prescott. And I like him to bounce back a little bit statistically there. I still think that that is a very solid top three receivers in that group. And I don't think you have quite as many injury concerns as what you have with, say, the Los Angeles Chargers. So that's why I've got the Cowboys sneaking in there at number five. But I think I'd probably have the Chargers at six or seven with the Raiders being in the mix there as well. No, I 100% agree with you. I mean, the the addition of Brandon Cooks to the Dallas Cowboys could be absolutely spectacular because as good as C.D. Lamb is, he's not a speedster, um, and that's exactly what Brandon Cooks is. And so I I love – the way that the Cowboys have added some break, uh, you know, some breakout, uh, big play kind of speed to complement what they already have, and to me, that's one of the things that's intriguing about the Chargers. Uh, you know, the, the fact that they did use their first round selection on Quentin Johnson, and yet still have, I would argue, it, when they're healthy, and that, that's the point that you just made here about Keenan Allen. I think you can make the exact same point about Mike Williams. You can make the exact same point about their traditional slot receiver and Josh Palmer, that all of them, when they are healthy, they're pretty darn good. They're just never healthy. Yeah. And so I, I think that you can make a strong argument that the Chargers, maybe I am putting them too high on this list. But for the same thing that you just said about why the Seahawks are on our list here is we're betting on what Quentin, or excuse me, what Jackson Smith and Jigba could be for the Seahawks, because clearly the Seahawks at this point have been a two-man show. They have struggled to find any type of consistency at that number three wide receiver position. It could be that Jackson Smith and Jigba winds up being an NFL Rookie of the Year candidate. It could be that uh, that D. Eskridge winds up having his breakout season. I think it's just as likely that Josh Palmer for the Chargers continues to be a quality slot receiver for them, who also has the ability to play outside when the Chargers receiving depth, uh, you know, has its annual uh, check here with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams struggling with durability. And then Quentin Johnston could be the best wide receiver from this class. Now he's got as many mistakes on tape as he does big plays, but my goodness, the mistakes or the big plays are so obvious. And when you consider the talent that's around him, I really think that Quinton Johnson, like Jackson Smith, and Jackson Smith and Jigba with the Seahawks, really does have an avenue to come into the NFL and have immediate success. And then you're basically having a conversation between Josh Palmer of the Chargers and D. Eskridge of the Chargers, Josh Palmer of the Chargers and D. Eskridge of the Seahawks. And I just think that Josh Palmer and D. Eskridge have both shown glimpse flashes of what they could be. So to me, those are two receiver cores that I see as very, very similar. Dallas Cowboys, again, being a similar one. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of wide receiver talent out there. To me, the most exciting thing about it, the fact is the Seahawks are firmly in this conversation. And I think you can make an argument that D. Eskridge takes off the way that we think he could. And of course, JSN has the the season that he does, that we think he could as well. I think you can make an argument that Seattle's top four receivers are as strong as anybody in all of the NFL. Yeah, there's projection to this. And of course, this list could change if DeAndre Hopkins somehow ends up in Buffalo or Stefan Diggs ends up out of Buffalo. There's a lot of different things that could alter this list leading up to training camp. But for now, I think that everybody can agree that the Seahawks, in terms of upside, 
they could be the number one team on this list. You do have the production from Metcalf and Lockett. So going to be exciting to see what Smith and Jigba is able to do. And if Eskridge is able to get things together and stay healthy, you might have the best one, two, three, four atop the depth charter receiver in the entire NFL. And that's certainly something to get really excited about going into the 2023 season. Coming up next, we're going to be bringing back Throwback Tuesday with the all underrated team. We're going to start with quarterbacks and safeties. I know Rob's looking forward to this. The history teacher in both of us is looking forward to going back, blast to the, uh, blast to the past. We're both struggling today a little bit. Blast to the past, looking forward to it. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you away by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel as the NFL season quickly approaches because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,000. That's $2,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from season awards to week one props to exact regular season win totals. Even with training camp still more than a month away, I'm excited to dig into season props such as the NFL MVP, Rookie of the Year, and more. Regardless of what prop you choose, you'll get paid instantly if you win. There's no better place to bet on all the upcoming football action than America's number one sports book. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $2,000. at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my coast in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there. As always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Every day, we're going to be kicking off our training camp primers on our Wednesday episode. Where does Geno Smith stack up against the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL, and what can we expect from the other quarterbacks in the depth chart heading into training camp? So we're going to be looking at the most important position in professional sports quarterbacks tomorrow. You won't want to miss it. One of our favorite segments that we've done in the past during the offseason has been Throwback Tuesday. And many of you have been wondering, is it going to come back? Well, yes, it is coming back with a vengeance. And we are bringing it back with our all underrated team. And how this is going to work, Rob and I are going to be picking our own teams. And we can't pick the same players. It's like any other draft. If I selected Sean Alexander, for example, you can't pick Sean Alexander. He's mine. So we get two totally different rosters, and we're going to start today with quarterbacks and safeties. And of course, we got to start with the most important position for the NFL and really professional sports, the quarterback spot. And Rob, you and I were talking about this yesterday when we were starting to put all this together, that quarterback's been a position for the Seahawks where you've had three or four guys that have been outstanding and then there's a huge drop off. And then we obviously know what happened in the nineties. There's been a lot of bad quarterbacking for the Seattle Seahawks too. So trying to find an underrated player at that spot, this was a little bit trickier than it's going to be at some other positions because it's pretty cut and dry who the best quarterbacks the Seahawks have had in history are and which guys have ended up floundering, which that list is pretty extensive too. Yeah, that, that's where I think this is a fascinating conversation because I think that there's a lot of uh, Seahawks fans out there who fully respect some of those, as you said, outstanding quarterbacks that the Seahawks have had you know, over the last 50 years that they've been around, or roughly 50 years. Um, and then there's then there's the national perception. So I would argue that in the, the very first era of Seahawks football, that 70s to 80s era, that Jim Zorn was outstanding. In the 80s, that Dave Craig was outstanding. That uh, 
uh, you know, in the early 90s to early 2000s, or excuse me, late 90s to early 2000s, that Matt Hasselbeck started to play outstanding football. And certainly the Russell Wilson era in the 21st century was spectacular football. And I think if it, from a national perspective, if you don't recognize those four quarterbacks and what they were able to do, not only in Seattle, but you look at their numbers across the NFL, they're pretty darn good football players. So I think you can make an argument that any one of those four could have been our list. I think in, in my personal opinion, having watched Warren Moon at the University of Washington, the CFL and the NFL, Corbin, I don't know that I've ever seen a more beautifully talented passer in my life than Warren Moon. So the fact that he was, you know, at least had a couple of years of very good football with the Seattle Seahawks, I think you could make an argument for him. But you kind of took the words right out of my mouth a couple of moments ago. It's like every generation, the Seahawks were pretty good, except for the 1990s. And so I'm going to make my argument with Tacoma's own, Central Washington University's own, Seattle Seahawks' own, John Kitna, who wound up playing for quite some time in the NFL, I believe it was 16 years in the NFL, four seasons with the Seahawks, five seasons with the Dallas Cowboys, also was with the Detroit Lions, the Dallas, excuse me, Dallas Cowboys, Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, he was all over the league, but he started his career in Seattle. And uh, the three players I'm going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about quarterbacks, we're going to be talking about safeties. All three of the players have had some type of off-field issue before their college, before their career in the NFL, during their career, maybe even after their career. That has kind of sullied their name, perhaps, for some. But if you look at the statistics that John Kitna put up, you, you look at the, the fact that he was the, the NFL's comeback player of the year, as we know that Geno Smith was for the Seahawks this past season. John Kitna did that as a member of the Cincinnati Bengals. He is the only quarterback in the 1990s to lead the Seahawks to a playoffs. Uh, you look at his career touchdown to interception ratio, all of these things to me scream underrated. So for me, if I was going to take my number one overall pick when it comes to the underrated list and at quarterback position, I got to go with number seven, John Kitna. And I'm going to go a little bit more recent just because this is a player that I felt like, and I still feel this way, Rob. Seneca Wallace was the backup to Matt Hasselbeck, and he was here in Seattle when they were making the Super Bowl, and he had a big catch as a receiver on a trick play in the NFC Championship game against the Carolina Panthers. So fans knew who Seneca Wallace was, even though he was the backup quarterback. He was able to play some receiver. He was able to do some special teams. I mean, this guy was extremely athletic. He had some Russell Wilson to his game with his ability to improvise and extend plays. And I've always felt like if he would have been quarterbacking the Seahawks in 2003, 2004, 2005, that he would have had a lot more success when he started to get starts because Hasselbeck was breaking down and he had a bunch of injuries. The rest of the team was breaking down too. We're talking 2006, 2007. They were still making the playoffs, but it was an aging team and they lost some key players. Receiver was not as talented as it was at one point. The running game wasn't what it once was. And I felt like he kind of got put in a situation where it was difficult for him to succeed. And yet he had 25 touchdown passes compared to just 14 interceptions in his time with the Seahawks. He averaged almost four and a half yards per carry running the football and gave them some life. It just, I felt like it was a situation that if he would have had the talent they had a few years before he got his opportunity around him, 
that I think Seneca Wallace could have been a mid-level starting quarterback. I still believe that he got some chance with other teams, but I mean, he was in Cleveland. We know what happens to quarterbacks in Cleveland. It just didn't work out for him, but he's certainly a player that I view as somebody that maybe was underrated just from the fact that he didn't necessarily get the best opportunity with what was happening around him with that roster and some poor drafting as well there that led to some pretty rough seasons at the end of the 2000s. Now let's go to the quarterbacks of the defense, the safety position. And this is the opposite end of the spectrum. We just talked about how, man, can we find underrated quarterbacks? There's not really a mid-ground safety. There are some stud safeties in Seahawks history that nobody talks about because they've had so many good ones over the last 40 plus years. And even in the 90s, when they weren't making the playoffs, they had some dang good safety play throughout that decade. The 80s, they were dominant with Ken Easley and company. John Harris, I mean, this position is loaded. So this was a little different. You and I were having a hard time because there were so many options as far as players that have gone under the radar, been underrated. Oh, there absolutely are. I mean, you can talk about uh, just Seattle's current safeties. I mean, Quandrick Diggs would be a you know a legitimate candidate to to be mentioning here. What Jamal Adams was able to do. I mean, everybody in Seattle it seems like is so negative on Jamal Adams. But again, if you look at it from an NFL perspective and the nine and a half sacks that he posted a couple of seasons ago, an NFL record for the position, maybe he should get a little bit more love. And I, I speaking of love, I love the fact that you just mentioned Kenny Easley, who in my opinion is if not the best all-around Seahawk of all time, then certainly in that conversation. Uh, John Harris as well. You know, Dave Brown made that transition to quarterback, but also played a little bit of safety with the Seahawks. And I think that he is criminal, that he is not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame at at this point. So there's an awful lot of good ones. You you mentioned the 90s. There's a player, Robert Blackman, who I considered for this list, uh, you know, who I don't think that gets enough credit for what he was able to do in Seattle and elsewhere. But to me, when I think about the, the two safeties who I think have been underrated from, again, not for only from a Seahawk perspective, but from an NFL perspective, they, they were two guys who both actually played the free safety position. One of them, however, I would argue actually played more like a strong safety in today's NFL, and that would be Ken Hamlin. Uh, Ken Hamlin played free safety for the Seahawks, absolutely terrific player. He was both a ball hawk and a massive hitter, a truly intimidating hitter. Um, and, and so to me, he is one of the players that I, I just absolutely have to mention here. What he was able to do for the Seahawks prior to sustain a, a, a terribly frightening injury during a kind of after game party in downtown Seattle, uh, you know, was, was unbelievable. I mean, we're, we're talking about one of the best safeties in all of the NFL. Uh, what he was able to do helped Seattle get to the very first Super Bowl back in, in 2005 was, was spectacular. Uh, you know, you look at his career numbers. This is a guy that had 15 interceptions. He had every bit as many big hits for the Seahawks. Wound up going to the Dallas Cowboys after his time in Seattle, where he wound up going to a Pro Bowl with, with five interceptions that very first season in Dallas in 2007. But it was what Ken, the Hammer Hamlin, number 26, was able to do as uh, you know the most feared defender in a very good Seattle backfield. The, the, again, the one that was the first to go to the Super Bowl for the Seahawks. I think that he is again among the most underrated players in Seahawks history, and certainly among the most safe, the most underrated safeties in Seattle history. 
I'm going to stay in the same era for my first selection. And this guy was a strong safety and he could play the free safety position. But I feel like Reggie Tongue was one of those guys on those early 2000s defenses where they had times where they were not very good. Let's just be honest. There were some deficiencies in that defense. And that's what held them back from getting to a Super Bowl until 2005. I felt like the defense was the biggest issue that they had that they had to get taken care of to really make that deep run into the postseason but Reggie Tongue was not one of those problems it played four seasons in Seattle had 12 interceptions but I just loved the way this guy came up and hit people he was another one of those hard-hitting safeties that could punch you in the mouth he had some good seasons in Kansas City as well New York this is a guy that played some other places but I just don't feel like he gets talked about a lot and maybe part of it's because he only played four years in Seattle but I thought he was one of their more productive defenders and did a lot of really good things for that defense in the early 2000s and sticking around the same era right before Reggie Tung came to town Daryl Williams who actually played six of his seasons in the NFL in Cincinnati he had only 11 interceptions those six seasons. The four years in Seattle, he had 20, including a year that he picked off eight and he made the Pro Bowl. This guy was a ball hawk. He knew how to get his hands on the football, and he also laid the wood, another guy that could really hammer people. To me, he's one of the most underrated guys, and maybe against because he only played four years, but, man, those four years were damn good seasons for the Seattle Seahawks, and he made a Pro Bowl. So Williams and Tongue, those would be my two. And I know that you have one that you'd like to talk about quickly that we've talked about a lot on the show in the past that uh, maybe is underrated from a Hall of Fame standpoint. He is underrated from a Hall of Fame standpoint. There's 12 players in NFL history that have more interceptions than Eugene Robinson. Yep. 57 picks that he had over his NFL career. 42 with a member of as a member of the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, Corbin, I just a couple of moments ago was kind of talking about Ken Hamlin and his 15, 16 interceptions. 57 interceptions. My goodness. It's just, it's mind boggling kind of numbers. Oh, by the way, of those 12 guys ahead of them, one of them is a former Seahawk, Dave Brown, who, as I said before, should be in the Hall of Fame. In my opinion, Eugene Robinson, if we're going to grade him on ball skills, then in my opinion, there is no defensive back corner or safety, whoever had the ball skills that Eugene Robinson demonstrated. Now, he was not the big physical hitter. He was a good sound tackler. Don't get me wrong. Plenty but he wasn't Cam Chancellor, Kenny. <laughs> exactly. He was not the intimidator. I mean, number 41 is a good football player for the Seahawks and good football player for the Carolina Panthers, for the Green Bay Packers, went to three Super Bowls in a row. A really good player. Uh, you know, again, some off-field issues that maybe have kind of sullied his name just a little bit. But if you're just talking about on the field and ball hawking, especially the way that the NFL is now all about the big, splashy, highlight real plays, I don't know that the Seahawks have ever had a safety. And that is with a great deal of respect, number 45, Kenny Easley. The best all-around safety, in my opinion, in Seahawks history. But in terms of ball skills, in terms of flashy, big play kind of things, I don't know the Seahawks ever had a better one, number 41, Eugene Robinson. Yeah, you and I can agree. He and Jacob Green, probably the top two in the list that aren't in the Hall of Fame. Then maybe Dave Brown could be thrown in there, too. There's some pretty good Seahawks that are not in Canton somehow. Let's shift gears now to our 90-man countdown, and we're going to be sneaking into the 60s now, numbers 70 through 66. And 
This is going to be a very UCLA-driven episode. So if you're somebody that doesn't like UCLA, we apologize. But the Seahawks like their players in the undrafted free agent market this year. So we've got a few of them to talk about. And one in particular that might have a chance to maybe make some waves and make this football team. We'll just have to wait and see. But let's start off here at number 70 with a player that's going to bring some local flavor. Was a really good receiver for two seasons at Washington State. Aesop Winston has actually got some NFL experience, played in a handful of games for the Saints a couple of years ago as a kick returner, caught one pass for five yards. That seems to be where his niche is going to be in the league. I think at this point with him now being, I believe this will be his fourth year that he's been in the NFL, at least his third year that he's been in the league. He's been mostly on the practice squad, including with the Seahawks last year. But Rob, this guy has really good speed, and he's got great vision as a kick returner. And without Godwin Iguibuque being re-signed, at least to this point, this is a wide-open race. So Winston is one of those guys who has bounced around with a bunch of teams that maybe has a fighting chance if he can impress as a kick and punt returner. Yeah, and I think that he can. I mean, as you said, that, that's one of the things that which he has done in the NFL already. He did a little bit at Washington State. Um, you know, I remember watching him. Uh, I believe it was his it was his first season at Wazoo. He had played at a junior college um, and absolutely tore the Pac-12 up. Uh, I think he had 19, 20 touchdown receptions over his two seasons at Wazoo. Um, yet he was not known as the most clean route runner. Had big, strong hands. They would pluck the football outside of his frame. That's one of the reasons why people like him as a returner and also has very good quickness and speed. Um, so I do think that his best way of making Seattle's roster is going to be as a return man. As you mentioned, it would be no longer on Seattle's roster. Of course, Tyler Lockett has played a lot of that role. DJ Dallas, Travis Homer, obviously Homer no longer on Seattle's roster. You think that Tyler Lockett is going to be focusing more on playing wide receiver. So all these things kind of equate to Aesop Winston, Winston Jr. getting you know a heck of an opportunity here for the six. I think this is his best opportunity in the NFL because that Saints receiving class uh, that you had kind of mentioned before that he was with New Orleans, that was a pretty gifted one as well. So I do think this is his best, maybe his final shot in the NFL at really being able to stick on a roster. I like that we have him listed here. I think that he's currently on the outside of the roster looking in, but I think that he's close enough that people should be paying attention. Speaking of best opportunities, let's shift over to the offensive line. And we have not talked much about Greg Island the last few years, but he's been one of the few players that has been on the practice squad the entire time for two full seasons. The Seahawks have not moved on from him. They have been happy with the progress that he's made. You got to remember that this guy is 6'8", 320 pounds. I mean, he's a massive human being, but he came into the league with a lot of technique-related issues. Even though he started a lot of games at Mississippi State, he had some things needed to be coached up on, particularly his footwork. And I can tell you from watching him at some of their off-season workouts that he has made major strides in that regard. Now, I want to see what it looks like in actual game action in August, but this might be the best chance that Greg Island has to make this football team because the last two years he has been on the practice squad. They keep bringing him back. And I thought he played really well in the preseason last year. Only gave up one pressure, no sacks, almost a 99% pass pro efficiency. And again, this is against third and fourth stringers in the second half of preseason games. But still, it was a far cry from what we saw his first season with the team. And Jay Curhan could potentially be moving mostly to guard at this point. So 
there's a chance there if you're wanting to keep two backup tackles that maybe Greg Island can make this team. I think it's similar to Winston where he is still on the other side of the roster bubble right now. But he is a player, if he has a really good August, that could maybe play himself onto the right side of the equation, especially if Jake Curhan's getting some looks at guard. If there's an injury, there are some things that could really help him. But he is a guy that I look at maybe being a fringe candidate, which we wouldn't have said that the last couple of years about him. So this maybe is his best and maybe last chance to really make this football team. Let's get to some of the UCLA players now, shall we? Because again, as I mentioned, this is going to be a very Bruin-centric episode. And we know that the Seahawks value versatility in the secondary as much as anything. That's why Julian Love is now a Seahawk. That's why Devin Witherspoon was picked fifth overall, even in the undrafted ranks. Mo Osling III coming from UCLA. I think this guy played everywhere except except linebacker and defensive tackle for UCLA. He even rushed off the edge a few times for them during his six seasons on campus. He had injury issues, which is part of the reason he played six years at UCLA had some extra eligibility, then you add COVID to there. But this guy's played both safety positions. He's played nickel corner. He's played outside corner. He's even played in the box like a linebacker before. He's basically done everything on defense. And yet, because of the injuries, he hasn't been able to really put everything together, which is why he didn't get drafted. Yeah, exactly. But as you mentioned, I mean, he played virtually in every single spot. He had a heck of a pro day workout that really caught the attention of some people. I mean, UCLA Bruins are, you know, I think are are more well known since Chip Kelly has taken over as the head coach there for their offensive exploits. I mean, obviously the Seahawks selected Zach Charbonnet here in a couple of moments. We're going to be talking about the wide receiver or tight end Jake Bobo. And uh, they, they have other wide receivers here recently that have done success. And of course, the quarterback Dorian Thompson robinson but you you look on defense they they've had some good players i mean they had a corner darney thomas a couple of years ago he was a good football player this past season they they had the safety uh quentin lake uh you know some good players and mo austin the third is just kind of bounced here and there and everywhere but just about everywhere that they asked him to play he was productive i i mentioned the the, the impressive workout 6'1", 195 pounds, was clocked in the four fives, had a 33 and a half inch vertical, the, the short shuttle and three cone times at 4.22 seconds and 7.04 seconds respectively to me are more safety type of times. I, I do not think that Austin is going to be playing that corner spot. I think that he is going to be a safety. I think he's going to be one of those candidates. He might be able to kind of drop down as we talked about before and yesterday's show about the safeties that might be in play to be kind of primary backups to Jamal Adams. Again, I think we're talking about a player who's probably on the outside looking in, but at the same time, it feels very, very clear. The Seahawks prioritize adding a versatile kind of rover type of safety. And I think this is the most, uh, you know, I wouldn't say pro ready of the bunch, but the most experienced of the bunch and plays in a system that uh, mirrors Seattle's in some ways. So I really am intrigued by what Austin's going to be able to bring the Seahawks. Another one of those undrafted rookies that's probably going to be vying for snaps at safety. They got a pretty good class there, which is odd with all the talent they've already got that's on the roster. Another position that's got a lot of talent that might have a newcomer entering the fold. You mentioned Jake Bobo. Now, this is the polar opposite of Mo Osling, who I don't think he had the most impressive pro day, but he did some things that showed off some pretty good athleticism for a safety prospect. And he's got good size. Jake Bobo's got the size, 6'4". 210 pounds. 
but he ran a 499 40-yard dash. Now, do I think he's a 499 guy? No, I don't. I think that there was some bad weather at that pro day that he worked out. I think there were some circumstances. I think he's probably a low 4.7s on a really good day, high 4.6s. That's what he looks like on the practice field to me. He doesn't look like he runs like an offensive tackle, which that 499 time would suggest that. But this guy had a really good lone season at UCLA. He played four years at Duke before transferring as a grad transfer. And Washington Husky fans, unfortunately, know him way too well. One of his best games last year, he tortured the Huskies defense. But 817 yards, seven touchdowns. Rob, almost 80% of his receptions went for first downs. And I think that's why this kid now has played himself into a situation with what he's done in the offseason program. We need to see what he does with pads on. He can't run any slower as far as I'm concerned. But he's a guy that has a lot of other things going for him. He's really crafty. He is extremely intelligent, hence playing at Duke, graduating from Duke. This is a guy that's got a head on his shoulders. He knows how to read defenses. He knows what they're doing. He finds openings in the defense. And he also wins contested catches. So Jackson Smith and Jigba does a lot of things like that, but Smith and Jigba does not have Jake Bobo's size. So this could be a player that if he's able to contribute some on special teams, I think he'll be able to do that. But if you can get special teams contributions from him and he can continue making plays as he did the last month and a half during the offseason program, it's going to be hard to make this roster at the same time. He does some things that the Seahawks could use from a depth perspective at the receiver position with that size and the ability to move the chains. Anytime you can get a crafty guy that knows how to get open and get first downs, has soft hands, those guys always have a fighting chance, even if they are not the best athletes. And his three-cone time was actually pretty respectable. So his entire pro day was not a disaster. Really, the 40-yard dash was the biggest issue for him. But he had a good vertical jump, good three-cone time. So he is a guy that's going to be very intriguing to watch. Speaking of athleticism, let's go to the FCS level to wrap up this section of our countdown. And we're actually going to be talking about another Montana player. We've had plenty of those players to talk about during our 90-man countdown to this point. But James Campbell is one of those classic receiver-turned-corners. In fact, he was a quarterback-turned-receiver-turned-corner. He has played a bunch of different positions and you want to talk about an explosive athlete. James Campbell is one of the most athletic undrafted players the Seahawks brought in in this year's class. He absolutely is. That, that, that's why he is listed here. Because as you mentioned, this is a former quarterback turned wide receiver turned cornerback. And, you know, he there's going to be some, some gaps on tape. This is not a quality tackler and, and run defender at this point. Uh, but at the same time, it's like you mentioned before with Jake Bobo, the wide receiver. Corbin, I don't care how damn fast you, you run at the wide receiver position. If you don't catch the football, then you can't play for me. And Jake Bobo catches everything in the zip code. Now on the flip side, a cornerback, I don't care if you catch balls. I need you to be able to run. And that's the thing is James Campbell can absolutely fly. He's a legitimate 4-4 guy all day long. I happened to watch Montana State's Pro Day. Corbin, it was held in the snow. And this guy still ran a 4-4-5. So yeah. that's what I mean. This is a dynamic athlete. He is absolutely the, the epitome of the diamond in the rough kind of conversation. But still, uh, I applaud the Seahawks for seeing an elite athlete who has some untapped potential. As you said, could not be much more different than the guy we just talked about, the UCLA former Duke wide receiver, Jake Bobo. Not a great athlete, but a very good football player. 
With Campbell, we're talking about a great athlete who you were hoping to develop into a good football player. And considering what Seattle was able to pull off a year ago with Tariq Woolen, who was supposedly so raw, never be able to play, at least not as a rookie, and Seattle had the success they had. I Again, I, I applaud the club for kind of reaching for it a little bit. And a player in James Campbell, who, again, I do not currently see as an NFL caliber guy but i do see that athleticism and seattle's track record of developing these players deserves respect he is a prime practice squad candidate several of the players that we just mentioned especially when you have those athletic traits that you can hopefully mold and he's got some background being a really good football player just the corner position is so new to him still he's only played two seasons there we know the seahawks have a pretty good record though working with players like that who have changed positions and getting them up to speed technique wise quickly and turning them into solid corners. So Campbell is a player to keep a very close eye on going into training camp. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked On Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up on our Wednesday show, we're going to start breaking down some training camp position primers at the quarterback spot. Where's a Geno Smith sit? in the quarterback hierarchy. And what about Drew Locke and Holton Ehlers? What do we expect to see from them going into training camp? Should be a really fun episode that you won't want to miss. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.